Would you open your Bible, please, to Romans chapter 14, and then to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Romans chapter 14, and then we'll look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. First we'll read verses 10 through 12 of Romans 14. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us shall give account of himself to God. That word account is the term of an accountant, a bookkeeper. And what it says essentially is that God is going to audit our lives. Now turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where the apostle is speaking regarding our anticipation of our heavenly body. And he tells us that to be absent from our body now means to be present with the Lord. Over these last weeks, there are certain phrases that God has written afresh in my heart that have become exceedingly precious, and this is one of them, present with the Lord, or at home with the Lord. Another one is in Philippians chapter 1, where the apostle says that he desires to depart and to be with Christ, which he says is very far better. I like those three words. I'm not sure all that they mean, but it's very far better to be there. And then he says in verse 9, Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... We persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you, humbly seeking that the Spirit of God would open these texts to us this evening as we think about the judgment seat of Christ. And I pray that you will have the freedom to say, everything you want to say to each one of us. Give our ears the ability to hear your voice and our wills a readiness to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Accountability is built into life. That is true in nearly every realm that you can think about. Two weeks ago tonight, for some reason, a Northwestern, Northwest airliner taking off from Detroit, Michigan, was claimed by the law of gravity. Whatever the reason, and I suppose ultimately we shall find out, the law of gravity claimed 
the lives of those people. They were held accountable because that airliner did not attain airworthiness. It was unable to attain its takeoff. Accountability is written to life. I was working with one of the men in our church a few weeks ago installing a house fan. And as we were doing that, we had to wire it. I have a healthy respect for electricity. I have learned it the good old-fashioned way. And I was amazed as he was able to work so deftly with the electrical system in our house and wire that fan without to fear, with a healthy respect, but without fear, because he knew how to use the laws of electricity. But if you abuse those laws, if you break those laws, you will be held accountable. And I suppose all of us have, to some degree, at some point in our lives. Accountability is written into life. That is what is said to us here regarding the totality of life. The Apostle says we must all appear. It says every one of us shall give account of himself. He is speaking regarding what is called the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. I'd like for us to think about this judgment that is in the future with respect to several things. First of all, the one who will judge. Who is the one who will be on the judgment seat on that day of the Bema? The answer is that the Lord Jesus Christ will be the one who will be seated on that throne of judgment. Now we know that because it is called the judgment seat of Christ here in 2 Corinthians 5, even as it is called the judgment seat of God by the best readings in Romans chapter 14. There is no contradiction there whatsoever, for Jesus Christ is God. It is his judgment seat. But we know further that he will be the one on the throne because of what is said in John chapter 5, and I'd like for you to refer to that with me for just a moment. In John chapter 5, in verses 22 and 23, our Savior has these words. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, in order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And then skip down to verse 27 where it says, And he, the Father, gave him, the Son, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Our Savior is the God-Man. He is fully God, but he is also fully man. And as man, he is able to sit in judgment perfectly over all men. And so God the Father has committed to his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, incarnate, all judgment. And that includes this which is called the judgment seat of Christ. Because he is the Son of Man, he is perfectly qualified in every respect to be our judge. It is good to keep in mind that in the future... There are two general periods of judgment. One period will be before the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
when the judgment of all of the righteous will take place. Now that must be so because the righteous will enter into that kingdom with varying degrees of responsibility. The responsibility in the kingdom will be determined at the judgment. So all of the righteous will be judged prior to the beginning of the millennial or the 1,000 year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a second general period of judgment and that follows the millennium when all of the wicked will be judged. At that time there will be established the great white throne judgment that is mentioned to us in the book of the Revelation. That is a judgment not of believers at all but of those whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, that is, those who are unsaved. It is certain that you and I will stand at some judgment. There is no question regarding that. At some judgment, every person who has ever been born into the world will stand before Jesus Christ for an accounting. And on that occasion, the all-seeing, piercing eyes of our Savior, His loving, compassionate eyes, yet described as eyes like, the, like flaming fire, those eyes will peer into ours and through our eyes into our hearts and every hidden area of life, everything that is possible to be exposed will be exposed at that judgment. And I say that will happen to every one of us, whether Christian or non-Christian, saved or lost, we shall all stand before some judgment. And Jesus Christ will be the one on the throne. Now let's ask a second question. Who are those who will be judged at the Bema? That is the judgment seat of Christ. The answer is believers. And more specifically than that, it seems only the believers during this age, those who are a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who will be caught up in the glorious rapture of which we have sung this evening and heard sung. It is we who are a part of this elect body being composed in this age from all of the nations of the world it is we who shall stand before the Savior at this particular judgment of the righteous, which is called the Bema Seat Judgment. We who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have basically three judgments that we face. The first one is the past judgment when we were sinners. That is a judgment that we faced at the cross of our Savior when we came to Christ. It was a judgment upon our sin. At that moment when we saw our sinfulness and we saw the cross of the Lord and we understood His work there on our behalf, His shed blood for the remission of our sins. At that moment our sins were dealt with. That is the past judgment. That's why it says in Romans 8, one, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because the judgment of sins is in the past. 
It's over. There will not be a judgment of sin in the future for us. That's a blessed truth. We have already passed from death to life. The sin question is settled once and for all at the cross when we bow there, we bow our hearts and receive Jesus Christ. Then there is a present judgment when we are judged not as sinners but as sons. This is a judgment that is described in Hebrews chapter 12 as chastisement. It is the work of our Lord bringing into our lives his discipline to cleanse us, to teach us, to instruct us in the ways of the Lord. It is a type of judgment now. And in fact, it is a kind of judgment of which we share by self-examination as we talked about this morning. 1 Corinthians 11 commands us to examine ourselves before we partake of the Lord's table. That too is a part of this present judgment process. We are judged as the sons of God. We are chastened by him as those whom he loves. And then there is the future judgment when we will be judged not as sinners or as sons, but rather as servants. For at this future judgment of the Lord, we will stand before him to give account for our service. This is the Bema Seat judgment of Christ. Now let's think regarding the nature of this judgment on that day at the Bema Seat. I want to reemphasize, because there are some who worry about this, that this is not a judgment to determine salvation. The judgment seat of Christ is not a time to determine punishment for sins, because the Lord Jesus has paid for sins. Those will not be held to our account any longer because of his payment on our behalf as our substitute. The judgment seat of Christ does not deal with our eternal destiny, but it does deal with our earthly deeds. It does not deal with our salvation, but it does deal with our service. As I suggested when we read the scripture in Romans chapter 14, we will give an accounting to God. That is a term that should be very meaningful to those of you who have uh, studied accounting or who are CPAs. It means that the ledger books will be opened and that our Lord will then do an accounting process of our lives at the judgment seat of Christ. You say, well, what about our sins? Well, I... I'm thanking God tonight, as surely you are, that all of our sins, past, present, and future, are under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sins will not specifically be brought before us there at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, if we are living in sin, it means that we are wasting time. And as our lives are examined, as the books are opened on that occasion... It may be that there will be blank pages because we have not been living for Christ. You see, the sins themselves may not be there. They're paid for. But the sad fact on that day is that we may not have anything in the book. 
I believe that's why the Apostle Paul says, as he does in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 11, knowing the fear of the Lord. The Apostle said, as he himself pondered that day, that there was an awe about it to him. The word here is our English word phobia. Here is a healthy phobia. It's the bema phobia. Paul said, as I think about the bema seat of Christ and the fact that I must be exposed before the Lord and will give an accounting of myself, there is an awe in my heart of that day. There is a healthy fear of that day. And so he says, uh, we persuade men and are made manifest to God. He says, we live an open book all the time. We allow our hearts to be made known to God. We are manifest to God and we persuade men because someday we will stand before him for judgment. The Bema, B-E-M-A, what is that? The Bema was a platform, a raised platform and a seat for the judge of athletic contests in those days. If any of you have ever traveled to Greece and have gone down to Corinth, you see the bema that is there, which the Corinthians certainly had in mind as Paul wrote these words to them. It is uh, still there today in ruins, the bema where the judge would stand to decide cases or in the case of athletic games where he would pass out the awards, and that seems to be the primary uh, thrust of Paul's words. Now, in those days, the one who would pass out the awards would give out a garland of some kind of greenery that would go on the head of the athlete, and of course, it would quickly pass away. But the honor was bestowed, you see, at the bema. Now, what he says to us is that there is a bema that God has established for us when we will come before him. And how we have run our race will matter because we will then be awarded our prize by the Lord himself. He tells us that there will be an uncovering, a laying bare, a revealing of the total fruit, the total worth, of each believer's life. Now from the negative standpoint, it means that we will not be judged by what we want to do and can't, but what we ought to do and don't. But from the positive standpoint, it means that everything that we have done in our lives, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ with pure motives, that God is going to examine that on that day and pass judgment on it. And we will be rewarded accordingly. There have been times perhaps when you have served the Lord sincerely and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you have received no acclaim for that. No one has awarded you anything. Uh, You have no plaque on your wall. Indeed, maybe it's something has been so small as we count things that no one would ever give you an award for it. Let me tell you, there's not a cup of cold water given in the name of Christ 
but that it shall not be exposed on this day. There's a wonderful word in 1 Corinthians 4 or 5. In fact, it's worth going back to look at in your own Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. You remember the Corinthians were judging Paul. They were evaluating Paul and Apollos and Peter and dividing up sides and saying, well, this guy's a better preacher than that one and this one is better than the other one. And Paul says to them in verse 5 of chapter 4, Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, Your praise of me or your uh, judgment of me does not matter. He says, I don't care for it. The important thing is there's a time coming when the Lord will examine me and each one of us will have praise, not from men, but from God. I'm encouraged by that fact that it seems that the Lord is going to find something at least in all of us on that day for which to give praise and to reward us. Why do you, you may say, does it need to wait that long? Why aren't we rewarded now? Wouldn't that be a greater incentive as we go along to know the Lord's rewards? Well, in one sense, maybe it would. But you see, our Lord wishes to wait until that time so that the totality of our lives can be determined. That all of the worth of them All of the good that you have set into motion can then be adequately measured. He does not want to shortchange you. He is waiting until that future time, after the rapture of the church, so that all of the good that you have done in His name may at that time then be adequately and fully praised and rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. What are the crowns that will be given on that day? Well, there are certain crowns named in the Bible. I don't know that these are the only crowns to be given, but there is mentioned, for example, in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27, the incorruptible crown, which it is said there will be given to those who practice self-control. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 19 and 20, there is suggested the soul winner's crown, For those who are faithful in witnessing for Christ. In 2 Timothy 4 verses 5 through 8. The crown of righteousness, says Paul, will be given to all of those who love and look for the appearing of Christ. In James 2.12 and again in Revelation 2.10. The crown of life will be given to those who endure trial because of their love for the Lord Jesus and their faithfulness to Him. And then in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4, the shepherd's crown to be given to elders who faithfully feed the flock of God and live exemplary lives before them. Now these are the specific crowns that are mentioned in the New Testament, but surely these will not be the only ones. For our Lord knows perfectly how to reward us on that day so that we will sense the excitement 
and the fulfillment of having served him faithfully in this world. The wise Christian, therefore, will judge life's issues with this prospect in view. As we run the race, sometimes the track seems pretty long, doesn't it? And we wonder, will there ever be a finish line? Is there ever a time when rewards are given out? And the answer is absolutely yes, there is. You and I may not be able to see the finish line, but we see the one who stands at the finish line, our Christ, and he stands there waiting for us to arrive at this occasion and then will give us appropriately what we have earned by our service for him. Moses lived this way. Don't lose 1 Corinthians 3 because I want to come back there. But turn over to Hebrews chapter 11 for just a moment. And look in verse 24 of this great chapter of faith where it says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Someone has said Moses chose the imperishable, saw the invisible, and did the impossible because he was a man who lived by faith. Now, why did Moses do what he did? Because he looked beyond the temporal power he might have had as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, the next Pharaoh. He looked beyond the passing pleasures of sin. He looked beyond the rewards he might have have experienced, the possessions. And he saw him who was invisible And he looked to that reward. What reward is that? Well, in the context of Hebrews 11, it seems to be the fulfillment of all the promises of God. In that city whose builder and maker is God, that place that Abraham looked for, and Isaac and Jacob, and all the faithful through the ages. Moses looked ahead and he saw that reward coming. He said, anything in this life that would detract me from that is not worth it. It's nothing in comparison to the eternal. And so he pressed on. Beloved, as we think about the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, while it certainly does create awe in our hearts as we ponder that day of our exposure, our auditing, Let it also stimulate us now. Let it spur us on to serve the Lord with eternity's values in view. And be wise and full of faith, as was Moses. The rewards will be given according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Going back there now. As much on the quality of our work and our service as anything else. Notice what it says, and we have here another key text in the New Testament regarding this judgment seat of Christ. 
Paul is here writing about his own work for the Lord and the foundation upon which he has built Christ Jesus, verse 11. And now he says in verse 12, If any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, that's one set of possibilities, wood, hay, straw, that's another set of possibilities, he says each man's work will become evident, that is manifested, for the day, what day? The day of the judgment seat. We'll show it. We'll make it plain and visible. Because it is to be revealed with fire. And so now he enters into a certain picture of that judgment. We are not to think of this as some kind of a purgatory experience. It is not that. But Paul says that that judgment will be, as it were, by fire. And he says the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Now that's interesting. The fire will test what sort or what kind of work each one has done. It may be possible to have a huge pile of materials there on that day. To have a massive structure but for the fire to consume it all. So you see, in the one hand, it's not how much we do, but it's of what quality we do what we do. It's possible for us to serve the Lord in such a way that we become famous. It's possible to serve the Lord in such a way that what we do becomes big. Now if God brings bigness, if God brings fame to any of us because of our service for Christ, then that's God's pleasure. But that's not the important thing. The important thing is the quality that goes in to what we're building. Boy, that's important. Now he says the fire is going to reveal it. If any man's work which he has built upon it, the foundation remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. Paul said something very similar in the earlier text in 2 Corinthians. We don't fully understand what he means by suffering loss. It does not mean loss of salvation. But perhaps there will be some indication to us of that which we might have been awarded had we done it the way that God would have been pleased with. And we'll suffer the loss of what we might have had. You say, well, I thought there are no tears in heaven. Well, it, it says in Revelation that after a certain point there are no tears, but I believe there may well be tears at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And he says, he himself shall be saved. So there's no question here regarding salvation. Notice that. Yet so as through fire. The idea is as one who dashes through the fire and still has the smell of smoke on him, although he's not burned up. The wood, hay, and stubble seems to be, in Paul's thinking here, a structural frame building. It, is, it seems to be connoting brick walls 
and thatched roofs, which were common in that day of ordinary homes, homes which were not lasting, homes which could be easily destroyed. And he says in contrast to that, there is a palace. The gold, the silver, the precious stones. Precious stones seems in Paul's mind here to be that which was expensive in that day and still is. Granite and marble. Not diamonds and rubies and that sort of thing. But he's thinking here of building materials that last. Materials that compose things that are meant to endure. The palaces. The shrines. And he says that you and I build one way or the other by the quality of our service for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's possible for our life's work to be imposing and mammoth as man views it from this perspective. But my dearly beloved people, the thing that counts is what Jesus Christ will see on that day and what is left after the fire has tested it. The inner qualities of the heart will be exposed. The motives of the heart will be made manifest. You say, well, what difference does it really make when you come down to it? Well, I hope already I've touched on that, but it does say here that we can suffer loss. It seems as though Part of our reward at the judgment seat of Christ is a determination as to how we will be privileged to serve with the Lord in his millennial reign on the earth. Those who have served the Lord as wise and faithful stewards will be given the privilege of reigning in an exalted way with our Lord. Whereas the scriptures seem to suggest that it's possible for the unfaithful steward to not even share in a meaningful way in that millennial reign of Christ. It makes a big difference what we do in this world and the motives with which we do those things. Because it will determine our service for Jesus Christ later. It is true that heaven is a place of rest. But don't ever get the idea that we'll do nothing for eternity to come. Because we're going to reign with Jesus Christ. And we will reign with him in proportion to our faithful service for him in this life. It does matter. And so I encourage you in your walk with God. I encourage you in your service for the Lord. Let us all test our motives and be sure they're right. Let's not serve the Lord for temporary gain, for personal fame in this world. That's hay, wood, and stubble. But as we serve the Lord, let's be building with silver and gold and granite and marble so that on that day when our lives and the work of our lives are tested, we may receive our praise from the Lord and not be ashamed at his coming. Someone has written this poem, it's anonymous, but expresses something of the thrust of 
the application of this message. It's called His Plan for Me. When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and His plan I begin to see, the plan of my life as it might have been had He had His way with me, I see how I blocked Him here and checked Him there, and I would not yield my will. Will there be grief in my Savior's eyes, grief though He loves me still? He would have me rich, and I stand there poor, stripped of all but His grace, while memory runs like a hunted thing down paths that I cannot retrace. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with tears I cannot shed. I shall cover my face with empty hands. I shall bow my uncrowned head. Lord, of the years that are left to me, I give them to thy hand. Take me and break me, and mold me to fit the pattern that thou hast planned. It is an old saying and true. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You and I may live our lives any way in which we desire. God gives us that liberty. But the fact is, we can only live them once. And so as we live our lives... Let us live as did Moses, with view to the reward, so that when we cross that finish line and we stand before him at the bema seat of Christ, we can rejoice. And whatever crowns he may see fit to award us on that day, we may then cast at his feet, who is worthy. Let's pray. Lord, we would not come to that day when we stand before you face to face empty-handed and ashamed. To whatever extent we have failed you in the past, whatever regrets may haunt us perhaps at this time because of past decisions that run wise, Whatever time has gone by that we have sadly wasted, we acknowledge to you. But Lord, of the years that are left to us, we pray that you will break us and make us and mold us to fit the pattern that you've planned for us. I pray that none of us would weep over the past but rather may we look to the future, to the opportunities of this day and tomorrow, and live them out fully with pure motives, and build on the foundation wisely with materials that will persevere through the fire of your test, so that on that day we may receive the reward and have something to cast at your feet 
Lord, you are worthy because you were slain for us. We bless you, we adore you, and we give ourselves afresh to you this night. We do that not only individually, but we do it as a church. And as we enter into the fall with all of its opportunities, its possibilities, I pray that you will enable us to buy those up, to make the most of our time, so that we may reach people, we may build up the body of Christ, we may see your name glorified and exalted. And we pray this in that matchless name, the name of Jesus. Amen.